What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with a king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Softweb Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to Softweb Radio. Softweb Radio on time, on target. We bring you the best of military affairs and current events and what's going on. Uh, we encourage all our listeners out there to check out all the great articles that's uh, up on our website. And uh, absolutely, uh, you know, check them all out because uh, we're trying to do the best we can here in these trying times. And they have been trying. But uh, all that is behind us now. We have a great guest on the line with us today. And I think it's some... Somebody and something that uh, will be of pretty good interest to all of our listeners out there, especially those who are veterans. We have Christopher Goldsmith, and that's spelled with a K. And I made the mistake of emailing the first time with a C, so I apologize for that. But uh, you know, Chris is on the oh, line a, with us. It's okay. I blame my parents. <laughs> well, if you see my last name, it's like, hey, no one ever spells my last name right. So, uh, Chris, welcome to Software Radio, and thanks for joining us today. Chris is the founder and president of High Grounds Veteran Advocacy, and we're going to get into all of that. But first, we want to welcome Chris. Thanks for taking the time. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, it's our pleasure. So, I see you're from Pleasantville, New York. Is uh, Where's that in there? It's in Westchester County. Um, I can't tell you where in Westchester County it is because uh, I moved here while I was in school last November, 
was pretty much locked down doing finals and then spring semester came and the pandemic was here. So I've, uh, I've seen the inside of my house and my yard and that's about it. <laughs> yeah. Cause uh, you know, it, it sounded almost like Superman, you know? Yeah. You know, I, when my, when my wife, when we were doing the house hunting, my wife said Pleasantville and I thought she was joking. Um, yeah. Cause I was like, Oh yeah. yeah. It's, it's a real thing, you know? Yeah. And it, and I, it's, I, uh, it, it looks like uh, what you might expect of a place named Pleasantville. <laughs> well, we're going to get into uh, high ground veterans advocacy, but first um, let's talk a little bit about you. Tell our listeners about yourself and uh, how you came to be where you're at. Sure. So, um, so I'm an army vet. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, grew up in Long Island. Uh, we're actually recording on September 11th, a significant day for, I think, everybody of this generation yep. who's served. Um, you know, I, I think that a lot of little boys um, grow up with this uh, real appreciation for men in uniform. Um, I, I feel like at some point, every little kid goes through this. I want to be a firefighter. I want to be a cop. I want to be an army man. Uh, phase and you know being a child of of the 80s when the cold war was still a thing you know i grew up on stuff like gi joe and rambo and all this stuff right so uh i never grew out of that phase i my entire life i from the time that i was like a toddler uh i wanted to serve in the military and when september 11th happened um it it gave uh i think a bit of a different sense of urgency uh, and rather than, you know, just look at it as a life of, life of service, you know, kind of continuing the uh, service of my grandparents' generation fighting in World War II, um, you know, I, I joined with, with anger, right? Like, mm-hmm. uh, I think that a lot of people, um, you know, who are in high school in my generation uh, joined the military just like that, you know, looking, we want to get revenge, so, oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, it, 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 it's amazing because you guys who joined right out of, like, say, 9-11, I mean, those guys, it, it's, it seems like yesterday that all that happened. And yet the guys who joined are almost at retirement time now. They've done yeah. their 20s. It, it yeah. doesn't seem like it was that long ago. Well, and the kids who are deploying to Afghanistan today were not – we're not born, uh, or we're, we're, let's see. Yeah. Okay. They could, they could have been in Afghanistan for the last year. Uh, if they were born, you know, um, a, a year ago yesterday. So it's, uh, yeah, it's crazy to think how much time has gone by, uh, and how, you know, nine 11 shaped my life and the life of millions of other, uh, young Americans who've, who've served overseas and, you know, I, I look at what's going on today with the pandemic and I think about how many uh, how many kids today are going to have their entire lives shaped by this. What I think for especially the young ones is a traumatic experience. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, it's it's funny. We, everyone thinks about it. And as you mentioned, I was going to bring it up uh, further along, but we all remember where we were on 9-11 and. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just one of those things that it will shape a lot of our perception, I guess you could say, of the world for a very long time. Yep, absolutely. So, um, so I was in high school during September 11th. Uh, I didn't graduate until 2003. Uh, and then I, I ended up joining the Army as a forward observer. Um, I, uh, I, it was one of those things where like, you know, I was buying all these military books and reading all the novels and stuff. So I, I knew what a forward observer was. Um, and you know, what cooler of a job can you have when you're 18 years old and to blow stuff up? Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I went to basic training January of 2004. Um, loved it, loved every minute of it. I'm, I'm looking at my wall here of, of me wearing my, uh, my BCUs back when we had those, green uniforms and, and black mm-hmm. boots that we uh, weren't supposed to shine because they were the new generation, but we still did. So our feet just sweat like crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and it, so a year after that, I was deployed to Iraq. 
So January through December of 2005, I was mostly in Sadr City, Baghdad. Uh, and for the last four months of my deployment, um, was actually at Camp Liberty uh, outside Baghdad International Airport. Um, so while I was in Sadr City, uh, extremely densely populated area that took away my indirect assets. So no mortars, no artillery, no attack aviation, uh, no close air support. Uh, so they have this, um, you know, for people who, who might be civilians listening to the program and don't know what a forward observer is, if you watch a movie like Forrest Gump and you see a bunch of infantry guys, you know, walking along and they get ambushed and everybody hits the ground and then you've got this nerdy guy with, uh, with glasses and, a, <laughs> and a, what looks like a telephone in his hand laying on the ground screaming into the telephone. I was the nerdy guy with the glasses. Um, you know, the, the BCGs, uh, the, the birth control goggles, we used to call them. Um, so you've got this nerdy guy with the glasses uh, in an infantry platoon, and he can't blow stuff up. So what do you do with them? So they made me uh, an on-the-ground intelligence reporter. So basically, I was a, a glorified personal security detail for my platoon leader, the, the lieutenant, uh, and the interpreter. So I went out on... Every single patrol, uh, much like the medic, uh, they needed us on every mission so we didn't get rotated out like the rest of the guys. Um, and, you know, I went out with my full kit, you know, my M4, all the ammo, grenades and blah, blah, blah. But I also had a GPS, a notepad and a pen uh, and a camera. So my job was to gather intelligence uh, and write reports at the end of every patrol to, you know, send up the chain to see you know, if, if it means anything in the bigger picture, um, which, you know, most of the time I'm taking pictures of the local cleric, the sewage in the road, the trash in the road. Um, you know, if we meet any Iraqi police who we're suspicious of, I'm getting photos of them and taking notes on that type of thing. Um, but also at the age of 19, it was my job to be the guy who takes the close up photos of uh, bodies as as they're being exhumed from mass graves. Um, and that is something that, uh, you know, wasn't really on my mind when I was enlisting. Uh, I, it's not something that I was in any way mentally prepared for. And, you know, I, I think a year of combat for anybody, um, you know, even if you're not doing the house to house fighting, the hero stuff you see in the movies, just, you know, going outside every day and, Sometimes things blow up and sometimes you hear a bullet whiz by your head. You know, that daily stress um, can really, you know, it changes your brain chemistry. At 19 years old, you're still growing. Uh, so, you know, I kind of became hardwired for this stress and the stress reaction. So when I came home from Iraq at the end of 2005, it was pretty clear to everybody in my personal life back home that something was off. You know, I was a little more jumpy, a little more aggressive. Um, and I, I, you know, was really uncomfortable in crowds unless I was uh, heavily uh, sedated with alcohol. But to me, you know, I was just coming home and I was doing the same thing that everybody else was, right? Mm -hmm. So my perception of normal was, was just that, you know, you get off work, you drink your face off, have fun. And, uh, you know, if, Iraq tell, teaches you one thing, it's that you could be dead tomorrow. So, you know, let's make the most out of every day, right? So, um, you know, despite the, the internal struggles that I was facing, uh, and I was, you know, kind of in denial about any PTSD type stuff, um, my career went really well. Uh, I was promoted to sergeant in just over two years of service. I was, uh, I was well-liked, you know, performed well on every test they ever put in front of me, whether it was physical or mental. Um, and, uh, you know, I may not have enjoyed my experience in the Army uh, in and after Iraq, um, but I, I did my job. You know, I, 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 was, I was good at it. That being said, um, after my taste of Iraq, uh, you know, being motivated to go get the Taliban and Al-Qaeda and ending up in Iraq, getting shot at by uh, the Mahdi militia, 
um, which had nothing to do with 9-11, you know, I, I was kind of um, disillusioned uh, with, with the military experience. So I just wanted to get the hell out. So my contract was due to be up in May of 2007. And, you know, I kind of looked at that as the light at the end of the tunnel at this point. You know, again, I put on the uniform, I go to work, whether it's PT or, you know, hanging out in the motor pool or, you know, being the comm sergeant for the, for the company, uh, you know, I was performing. But as soon as I took off my, my uh, uniform and went home, I was just getting trashed. And I was like a totally different person getting in fights at bars. And frankly, I'm, I'm lucky I was never killed or arrested. And in January of 2007, so just about four months before I'm supposed to get out, uh, President Bush announces the troop surge into Iraq. And what that did was it uh, put stop loss orders uh, for, I think, my entire division, 3rd Infantry Division out of Fort Stewart, Georgia. And instead of get out of the Army, as my contract was uh, you know, originally said, I was going to deploy to Iraq for what was expected to be a 16 to 18 month deployment. Um, and you tack on the extra 90 days uh, stabilization post-deployment. I'm looking at having my three and a half year contract extended to about five. Um, and that, that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. Um, you know, I'd been suffering from nightmares and personal relationships are a total mess. I'm drinking myself into oblivion. Uh, but then finding out I'm going back to Iraq, I just kind of lost it. And, you know, what had already been some serious uh, anxiety and depression and what I would later find out is post-traumatic stress disorder just became completely overwhelming. So the night before what would have been my second deployment, I went out onto a field uh, called Heroes Walk where they plant a tree for everyone from the third ID who's died. And I chose that place to try to take my life. And... It's always felt like a cemetery to me. Um, you know, there's a memorial for the guy from my battalion who was the medic from my battalion who was killed. Uh, and it felt like the appropriate place to go. Uh, I'm, I'm 21 at the time making these uh, decisions to end my life. Thankfully, uh, my roommate at the time, a guy, Steve Atchison, who I, I went to basic training with and our whole career were, you know, kind of, you know, we we're in the same battalion. So we always stuck together. Uh, he recognized those those final signs and and called the cops and they found me, brought me to the hospital and and you know saved my life. So after that, you know, I went from kind of being like the golden boy to treated like a criminal. Um, my suicide attempt was not viewed as uh, a symptom of post-traumatic stress disorder. It was viewed as an excuse or a betrayal uh, of my unit. So within three months, I received two counseling statements, one for malingering, which is a medical diagnosis that a staff sergeant with a high school education is not qualified to, to diagnose someone with. And the second uh, article, it uh, wasn't even an article 15 counseling statement was for missing movement, meaning not getting on the plane. I didn't get on the plane because I was handcuffed to a gurney having charcoal shoved down my throat. So um, three months later, those two counseling statements were the only uh, black marks on my record. And that's all it took to get me out of the army. And I went from being Sergeant Goldsmith to Chris uh, living in my childhood bedroom. Uh, wondering what the hell I'm going to do with the rest of my life. Now, I received what's called a general discharge, which is a step below a fully honorable discharge. And a lot of people think that there's honorable discharges and there's dishonorable discharges. Well, there's actually six different categories. Uh, you can only receive a dishonorable discharge or a bad conduct discharge as a result of being found guilty at a court martial. So you've got, you know, formal judicial proceedings where you have a defense evidence and all this stuff right um the other four types of discharge are what we call administrative discharges so it's basically like anything that your manager at mcdonald's could do to you 
in terms of like getting you out of their employment is basically the way that these administrative discharges work, except the ones in the military carry a lifetime of consequences. So the honorable discharge is what, you know, 85% of veterans are getting. Um, then there's general discharges. That's what I got. And what that does is it strips you of your GI bill. And uh, below that is called the other than honorable or OTH discharge. And that even takes away your health care. doesn't matter if you're, uh, you know, if you've deployed twice, it uh, doesn't matter if, you know, you, you had four or five years of honorable service. Uh, if you have a single infraction, that's enough to get you kicked out. That's, that's it. No more VA for you. Um, at least under the old rules. And we'll get to how those have changed in the last couple of years. Um, and outside of that, there's the uncharacterized discharge, which is really only given to people who are, or typically only given to people who are washing out of boot camp or basic training. So I ended up uh, with the general discharge and a narrative of separation, which said misconduct, serious offense. So rather than get out uh, with a military history that I could use to find employment, I got out with a military history that looked like a criminal record. So, you know, should I apply for a job and they want to know what I've been up to for the last four years, I've either got to lie or if they want to see my records, I've got to go right into during a job interview explaining away a suicide attempt. So the military, uh, the army, um, it basically imposed what amounted to a lifetime sentence on me for um, as punishment for surviving my suicide attempt. And this led me to feel absolutely alone and just devastated. But luckily I, I did qualify for the VA and I was able to get healthcare. And after about five years of intensive therapy, I kind of started getting out of that stuck feeling and moving forward with my life. And uh, I've come to learn that I'm not alone. In fact, there are 505,000 veterans today who are living with other than honorable discharges. So the level below my own, um, where they're typically denied healthcare when they go to the VA. Uh, these general discharges, these administrative discharges are increasingly popular. Back in World War II, they didn't really use them started using them during Vietnam. You get, you know, draftees, guys who don't want to be in the military. It's a quick way to get them out, uh, you know, so they don't have what, uh, uh, you know, some officers in the military refer to as problem children. Um, and for the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, they've become, you know, really commonplace. Something like 15% of Marines who left the Corps in the year of 2011 did so with bad paper. So what that says is either we've got a terrible, terrible recruiting problem and recruiters are just, you know, are having a 15% failure rate and, you know, putting people in the core who are just terrible human beings or the military is misusing these types of discharges and imposing life sentences on folks who, um, instead of treating them like criminals, be more uh, appropriate to treat them like patients and rehabilitate them so that, you know, hopefully in a lot of cases they can be retained, stay in the military and continue to serve their country. So how did uh, you come about creating this, you know, this advocacy program? So in 2012, um, mm -hmm. I had, I had finally gotten a job and uh, was pretty happy with it. It was like a blue collar thing, working with my hands. And then Hurricane Sandy happened um, and wiped out the shop that I was working in, all the tools, everything I had built. So I, I got laid off. Um, and that's when I found out I qualified for vocational rehabilitation. So it's not an education program, right? You don't, you don't get this uh, from the VA and you're guaranteed to go to school. It's, it is what you know, the name implies it's uh, intended to make you 
um, to help you move forward in life in a way that you are going to be gainfully employed and, and satisfied. It's going to rehabilitate you. So in addition to medical treatment, um, I went to the VA, uh, got a counselor, a voc rehab counselor, and uh, determined that it would be a good path for me to you know, finally head off to school. Now, with a general discharge, I wouldn't get the same benefits as the GI Bill, um, so no living stipends to you know, pay my bills with. Uh, but it would pay tuition, which was is a tremendous help. And at my community college, uh, I I went from being the guy who, you know, kind of sat down in class, hood up, uh, earbuds in, and like you know, you know, did my work and got out of there, to being elected as the president of my student veterans club, representing something like two hundred fit uh, two hundred fifty vets on campus, and. That being immersed in this veteran community is something that I had been completely lacking uh, as a result of my bad paper discharge. Couldn't join the American Legion or the Veterans of Service Wars, uh, Veterans of Foreign Wars or anything like that at the time. Um, but once I got that sense of community back and the leadership position, which is, you know, that's what I was as a sergeant, um, gave me a sense of purpose. And there I, I came across a lawyer um, who I told my story to, and, and he said, you know, jokingly goes, there ought to be a law. And good thing is, is I'm one of those guys who used to write laws. So he was a staffer uh, for then Senator Carl Levin, who was at the time the chair of the Armed Services Committee. So this guy, this lawyer, uh, Chuck Cotolo gave me a crash course in advocacy and lobbying, taught me how to um, tell my story, come up with legislative solutions, meaning like lawmaking, stuff that lawmakers can do to improve the situation. And, uh, you know, helped me get a couple of suits and head down to DC. Uh, within my first year, uh, within a year of my first trip of going down to DC, I got my first bill passed. It's called the uh, Military Mental Health Review Board Improvement Act, which is a mouthful. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't pick the name. Yeah. Um, but what that did was it made sure that people like me who apply to, uh, to have their discharge upgraded, if you're applying on the basis of PTSD or TBI or military sexual trauma as a mitigating factor, that there has to be a qualified mental health professional who is on that review board um, who can review your records. Now, prior to getting into school, I had appealed my discharge. I went down to um, Crystal City, right outside Washington, D.C., where the Army has got their Army Review Board Agency, and I had an in-person hearing. And luckily, I had a, a lawyer who was helping me out pro bono, and that firm paid to fly in five guys who I served with including the captain who I directly reported to my fire support officer um, almost my entire career. And, you know, it ends up being six guys who deployed together, you know, crying and sobbing about the shit we went through together and, uh, you know, talking about the changes that they saw in me and my, and themselves, you know, between pre and post deployment. Um, and at that point I had had, you know, four or five years of uh, mental health treatment records that I submitted as evidence for PTSD. And the law was, is that there needed to be a doctor who reviewed uh, any medical records for the discharge review board. Um, so the army complied with the law, but not the intent and had a podiatrist, a foot doctor, look at my PTSD <laughs> records. And that foot doctor determined that my head was in, you know, I guess, fine space um, and determined that my diagnosis of PTSD could not be definitively attributed to my service in Iraq. 
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell, ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy. And we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Um, this foot doctor even suggested, well, you can get PTSD from other things. You know, maybe you were in a car accident or maybe you got raped, um, which is insane. So he's basically asking me to prove that I have never been in a car accident or raped, um, completely ignoring, uh, you know, hundreds of pages of documentation about my treatment related to my service in Iraq. So it's, um, you know, what started High Ground Veterans Advocacy is uh, getting screwed over and <laughs> seeing it happen to a lot of people. So um, this wasn't something that you had ever planned on doing or, you know, after the military, this was just kind of thrust on you, basically. Correct. Yeah. And, and when, I, when I first started going to school, I had these idea, this idea of being a prosthetics engineer. Um, a, a good buddy of mine, um, who was a power lifter, who's, who's <laughs> escape plan from the army was to, uh, after his contract was up, was to become an underwear model. And maybe he could have done that, maybe not, but the guy was basically like the Hulk and yep. he, he lost one of his hands. Um, and he, you know, after, uh, being in a hospital for a few months, he, um, they basically gave him a clamp to put on his arm and he's still powerlifting. He's, uh, I mean, the, the man's a beast. Um, but I thought, you know, after, after this guy sacrificed, uh, all this for his, you know, his country, his entire body is just scarred up, had holes all over him. Uh, in addition to losing his hand, they're, like they're just going to give him a hook to, to mess around with. Um, so I started school thinking I'm going to be a prosthetics engineer. I'm going to work on, uh, you know, building my buddy a better hand, hopefully. Um, then I learned that I, after I took chemistry and physics and uh, pre-calc, I hated all of that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I, I had the grades, but didn't enjoy it. But what I did enjoy was going down to D.C. and um, 
you know, helping to shape a law that I, I hope is improving people's lives. And I took that first experience that, you know, taking these tips from this lawyer and turned it into a program where I could teach other veterans how to tell their own stories. Um, so in ways, things that they've experienced, not just in the military, but as veterans that are really a result of loopholes or oversights um, or abuses that are correctable. And um, what High Ground Veterans Advocacy has done is we create, uh, we've created a fellowship program where veterans apply by writing a two-page policy paper, basically trying to convince me that not only can they identify a problem, but also that they can identify solutions. And I help them with things like um, you know, literally telling their story verbally to an audience, uh, writing opinion pieces, um, you know, even email etiquette, uh, basically the way that Washington DC works. And it's that skill set is transferable to so many things. You know, I've, I've done a lot of work on bad paper discharges, helping vets mm -hmm. like me who were kicked out. Um, you know, I said in the beginning how, Vets with OTHs are, you know, typically told to take a hike if they go to the VA and they're denied medical benefits. Well, that's not the situation anymore. You know, we got two years ago, we passed the Honor Our Commitment Act, which ensured that any vet who's served in support of combat, uh, who believes they have PTSD, TBI, military sexual trauma, or related condition can walk into the VA uh, and get emergency treatment when necessary and a diagnosis and hopefully um you know if they get a diagnosis the va will take care of it because it's a service connection uh service connected disability now uh, now with, you, with your program are you having um some success making inroads into because i know congress can be just a a nightmare trying to get anything passed in there yeah it's so Congress is a, is a funny thing. It's really difficult for an outsider um, to come into Washington, D.C. and make a difference. Um, our our in-training portion of our program is only a week long, and they're only face-to-face -face with uh, members of Congress and staff for three days in formal settings. We help them schedule meetings and that kind of thing. Uh, but I tell all my fellows that the, the most powerful thing in Washington is the cup or the glass in your hand. All of the good work that I've ever gotten done uh, is over a coffee or a beer. So not only are we doing classroom instruction and, and helping people schedule meetings and coaching them through how to propose a policy idea and convince someone that they should put their name on it, too. Um, we uh, have, you know, what in the military we call mandatory fun, um, mm -hmm. where we uh, we set up an open bar and we invite, you know, all of my friends in Washington and and their friends who work on the Hill and veteran service organizations uh, who work, you know, for congressional staff. Sometimes we're lucky enough to have a member of Congress come. And the deal is, is that, you know, I give all my fellows raffle tickets. And the only way you can drink is if you have a raffle ticket. The only way you can get a raffle ticket, all of our guests, is if you talk to our fellow and you trade a business card for the raffle ticket. So our mandatory fund becomes a uh, crash course networking session where <laughs> they're connecting with the people who actually you know, know how to get laws passed and who you know, hopefully they find someone who's particularly interested in their topic. You know, we've, and we don't do, a lot of people, you know, see the website, see my work, and they think, oh, this is an organization that just helps veterans with bad paper. And no, that's, that's my story. That's my narrative. And that's what I use to teach veterans how to tell their stories. Um, but my latest class, uh, we had a, a woman who served in the Army in the 80s. Uh, and has since become a uh, midwife. Now, 
when I first met her, I didn't know the difference between a midwife and a doula. And I kind of thought this, like, it's this hippie thing, like giving birth in bathtubs type of thing. Um, but mid midwifery, it's not midwifery, midwifery is a science. And that science shows that midwives um, basically act as advocates for expecting mothers and expectant mothers who have midwives coaching them through the process of of pregnancy and giving birth achieve better health outcomes than uh someone who you know uh, someone who just has a relationship with an OBGYN. so her uh her idea was to increase access to midwives for active duty troops and veterans um you know, so we've done everything from that to fixing loopholes in the GI Bill um, to employment programs. Um, it's it's been a diverse set of of, uh, of fellows with a diverse set of stories and policy ideas, and uh, you know, I'm I'm proud to say that they've been pretty damn effective. You know, it's. Uh, I wanted to ask: Is it hard to get the guys to talk about themselves? Because I know, like, if you give a, a military guy a task, say, "Okay, I need you to get in front of five hundred people and teach this," they'll get up there and they'll rehearse it and they'll do a tremendous job. You ask them to talk about themselves, and they get tongue-tied. Yep. <laughs> so, yeah. is, is that and... something that you have to work with with each individual? Yeah. And, you know, everybody's got different levels of experience and different levels of comf uh, of comfort and confidence. And we, um, you know, try to build a program and we only do small classes. So it's usually around three fellow or fellows in a class at a time for a week. And we dedicate, um, uh, you know, each each fellow is kind of getting their own program. And we use them to coach one another. Uh, you know, we're, we assign homework, right? So mm -hmm. we, the first day is kind of, this is how Washington works, a crash course kind of thing. You know, uh, let's, let's write out some ideas on how you can write a policy paper. And at the end of the day, I'll say, all right, well, by 9 a.m. tomorrow morning, you guys have got to be back here and you all have to have finished policy papers. So they go home and they have to study real quick and kind of figure out how they're going to draft this one pager. Uh, and, you know, again, the glasses come out, right? All good work in Washington happens over a beer or a coffee. So they're uh, either caffeinating themselves or, or loosening up, uh, getting to know one another. And then the next day, you know, you've got that little bit of camaraderie. Um, you know, it's, it's nothing like you're going to get in basic training of a few months of being, being together. But having a task uh, that's difficult, that's out of your comfort zone, um, and and can be in a way painful for a lot of people, because a lot of people are describing painful stories, mm -hmm. can draw people together really, really quickly. So our fellows are not just getting this network of people who live and work in Washington, who work on policy, but they're also connecting with other vets who are really driven uh, towards improving the lives of of their fellow vets uh and and service members and families so very quickly uh they get comfortable with one another and after you know we teach them how to do their elevator pitch and we you know start at two minutes and get it down to 15 seconds by the time they've told their story 60 times to one another they can say it to anybody and uh it's it's really cool watching vets who otherwise might have been clammed up about their personal experiences um, learn how to use those personal experiences to improve other people's lives so you're getting a, like a, a bunch of different vets who are passionate about a, a plethora basically of different you know uh subjects it's not just maybe one thing or another i mean it's across the board you're getting right. guys who are interested in changing a lot of different things, aren't you? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's not everything is Pentagon focused. Not everything is VA focused. Uh, 
you know, in in one class, we'll we'll have someone who's focused on jobs and employment, mm-hmm. uh, and like I said, midwifery, which I didn't even know how to pronounce until that. I class didn't happened. either. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and it's funny. My my son was born with a midwife uh, when my wife went. You know, being pregnant, she had a midwife. But uh, until you said that, I always thought it was midwifery. So you know, uh, and- now he's twenty two years old. And I just learned something new today. So well, there you go. And and that right there. So we get to know each other really well this this week of in person training. And that right there became her trip. So mm-hmm. Colleen, uh, who's a registered nurse, she's not you know some hippie who you know has people give birth in bathtubs. This woman yeah. has delivered twenty two hundred babies, but wow. herself. And then stop counting because she's like, what the fuck's the point uh, after a while? So she hasn't even counted for a few years, right? So we would get into a room and, you know, you're sitting in front of members of Congress who are very confident. They've run for office. They've won elections. You know, they think they know a lot of stuff. Uh, and, you know, they've got Ivy League degrees and all these Rhodes Scholars and all this. Stuff. And they're very impressive. But when you get them to accidentally say midwifery and this uh, this army vet who has dedicated her life to midwifery, you really knock them down a notch and you get them to realize very quickly that they're not experts in everything. And it's time to listen to this uh, this nice woman right here because she's going to teach you something. So yeah, so what, basically you're taking a very small group. Then uh, I didn't realize how small your groups are, and you're you're tailoring, you know, your class and the advocacy goals around each individual person. Then, correct, yeah. And what we do is we we shape the experience so that every single thing from the applications to the interview process to the in-person training to the you know the to-do list on how to get your idea to become a law everything is individually tailored um i would i would love to have classes of 25 or 30 people uh mm-hmm. doing this you know churning out tons and tons and of veterans each year uh to do this but um it it's impossible you know we we are um our version of training is so hyper tailored to the individual fellows that it's it's really all about them. And I wouldn't be able to divide my time and attention uh, into that many fellows. And now I, I started this nonprofit while I was a full-time student, while I was full-time working for Vietnam Veterans America, um, a, a congressionally chartered service organization. Uh, mm-hmm. But life has changed a lot for me in 2020. Uh, I unfortunately got laid off due to COVID. Uh, but I also graduated. So I'm at a, a point in my life where I am hoping to to get the resources together um, to do multiple classes per year. Uh, my goal is to um, basically be the, the premier uh, training program for veteran advocates in, in the country. Uh, there's nothing quite like it. You know, there are veteran service organizations that do um, do fellowships and, and do advocacy training, but it's usually restricted to a certain number of things. Like if you are uh, doing the Student Veterans America and VFW's partnership training, uh, it's really student veteran focused, right? And uh, when you take the entire population of, of American vets, 21, 22 million, well, then you cut it down to, you know, people who have recently served. Well, now you're just talking about, you know, a, a few million. And then you cut it down to those who've deployed overseas because you have to have deployed overseas to be in VFW. Well, you've cut that, you know, down. And then you have to be not only a recent vet who's deployed overseas, but you also have to be a student, right? So now you've only got this tiny population who are even available, uh, eligible for training, right? And that's not to criticize their program, uh, but they're doing something very specific uh, to help their organization's mission 
uh, Drive Forward, which is improving the lives of service members, protecting and strengthening the GI Bill. But our mission is more broad than that. It is strictly to train veterans. So we're not limited by subject matter um, or era or branch or whether or not you've deployed. And, you know, are you, are you building, uh, are, are you building relationships with veteran service organizations or military service organizations? And, uh, you know, because, uh, I think, you know, these things could go hand in hand, could they not? Absolutely. Um, so I used to work at, uh, until this COVID layoff, uh, mm -hmm. thing. I used to work at a veteran service organization in DC on their policy team for the last four years. And Vietnam Veterans America has hosted our training. It's It's been our training site, their office for the last few years. Some of my fellows have gone on to um, like one Maureen Elias was in my first class. She's become a board member of High Ground Veterans Advocacy and uh, for a, a couple of years was my colleague at Vietnam Veterans America and now works for Paralyzed Veterans of America. Um, and we've got, you know, fellows who've gone back to their, uh, their home states and who have become local leaders in their, uh, veterans or organizations. Um, and you know, that the mandatory fund that I mentioned earlier, mm -hmm. um, you know, that, that keeps your group of friends, uh, quite large. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I bribe people to hang out with us um, and, you know, to make sure that our fellows networks are as, as good as they possibly can be. Well, you know, and I, I think this is, uh, this is a, a really different way of helping veterans. Uh, and, and especially I would think, and I'm no expert by any stretch of the imagination, but just, you know, reading a little bit about what you guys do and talking to you. It, I think this, you know, having something like this out there would really help a lot of guys in that transition period, you know, when they know th that their time is getting short as well, because that's the time when a lot of guys realize that they have a either an issue or a passion, you know, mm -hmm. um, uh, is, is this something that you can get expanded upon. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the pandemic has made 2020 kind of a watch sure. for us, right? Yeah. We, we can't do in-person training. You know, there's no way that we're flying people from around the country to come to DC. We're going to have chances to shake hands with lawmakers and stuff. So we're in kind of holding pattern at the moment, but moving forward, um, you know, what I hope to do is, is uh, give people the same opportunity that I found when I met that, uh, that lawyer at my community college. Um, you know, take the, uh, the anger that you the depression, the anxiety, and focus it into a positive mood. And, and that's what I've done with my advocacy. Um, you know, I, we opened 9-11 and, and how I was driven to serve not just by a desire to, you know, serve my country in uniform, but also, you know, I wanted vengeance for those New Yorkers who died on 9-11 and for my friends who lost people on that day. Um, well, that anger, you know, is, uh, I think, always going to be a part of me in some way. And in that anger, I've learned to channel it into all right, well, you know, the, the Pentagon, the Army, uh, you know, kicked me out and messed up my life for a few years. Well, now I'm going to be a pain in the ass to the Pentagon for the rest of my life. And that's what I've done. Um, you know, rather than have a podiatrist looking over medical records, say, oh, you know, I'm a foot doctor, but your PTSD is in peril. Well, now they have to comply with the law that I helped to write. Uh, the Military Mental Health Review Board Improvement Act makes it so it has to be a psychiatrist, psychologist, or someone with specific training in mental health. So, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, we are all about taking those things that drive us as service members, as veterans, uh, you know, whether that's a desire to serve your country or, 
um, you know, you want to make some perceived bad guys have a bad day, we'll figure out a way to do it in a positive way, uh, improving the lives of service members, veterans, and their families. And, you know, uh, protecting their benefits as well. And uh, I think that's, this is, this is something uh, I hadn't heard of until we were introduced. And I think this is a great program. How can people uh, apply to this? So they can go to highgroundvets.org mm-hmm. and uh, they can check out our website. They can actually look through all of our fellows um, so they can see what each class looked like and what kind of missions they picked up and see, you know, that there's a, a very diverse crowd in there. You know, we don't have a stereotype that we're, we're looking for. Um, and we'll, we'll be opening up applications uh, when we feel it's safe to resume our training in D.C. So for now, um, the best thing that people can do is go to highgroundvets.org and sign up for our email list. And as soon as we open up applications again, they'll be among the first to know. That's awesome. Hey, um, Chris, I want to thank you uh, for joining us this afternoon. I, I really appreciate uh, you taking the time and talking to us again. I mean, I, I hadn't heard of your organization until we were introduced. And, you know, I, I think our listeners should definitely, and our readers as well, check out High Ground Vets. Um, check out the things that they're doing because there's different ways of, you know, uh, protecting and expanding our benefits that we've all earned. And sometimes we're not getting and, uh, Chris is living proof of that. So, um, you know, sometimes we need, we need advocates to talk for us. I think, uh, I wish I had an advocate when I went to the medical board and at Walter Reed, after I got hurt on active duty, um, things might've turned out a little bit better for me, but that's a story for another time. Chris, thank you again for joining us. We really appreciate your time and what you're doing for veterans all over the United States. Well, thank you, brother. Thank, thank you for helping to get us out there. Uh, High Ground Vets is a you know a small organization. Um, you know we don't have an office. Uh, basically, runs out of wherever I am with my laptop. Um, so it's it's really cool to get this kind of exposure. So we really appreciate you guys helping us let people know to go to highgroundvets.org, sign up for our email list so that when we open up applications, uh, they can uh, you know apply for the program. Awesome. And especially on today in 9-11, it, it makes it even more important that we take care of our own because there's so many people out there that need help. So uh, we, we want to thank everyone for listening today, thanking our, uh, obviously, our guest, Chris, uh, High Ground Vets, obviously, as well, on a Soft Rep Radio on Time on Target. Uh, Again, uh, check out the organization, see if you can help. Maybe it's something that one of our listeners is interested in checking out and and joining the program. We hope, uh, you know, you all do that. And uh, Chris, all the best to you in the future. All right. Thank you, brother. Have a great day. You too. You've been listening to Soft Rep Radio. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed... (laughs) Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts, if you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah! Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. 
we went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. You know that feeling when you walk into your home, take a deep breath, and feel new? Well, that's what it's like to use Clorox Sentiva. Because Clorox Sentiva smells like coconut, cleans like Clorox, and feels like energy. It'll elevate any cleaning routine to not just clean, but also make every room smell like a tropical coconut getaway. Discover how Clorox Sentiva's powerful clean and refreshing scents can transform your space. Get yours in coconut or other fabulous scents at a nearby retail store.